All right, welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Final game of the season, of the regular season. It's here. Where did the time go? I have no idea. It's crazy. It's somewhat exciting in terms of just some finality to this season. I think, you know, obviously it's been an up and down season if you're an Oregon fan, if, if you're someone covering this team. Just in terms of you've seen the highs of nearly beating Stanford, of beating Washington, of then losing three out of four um, games with some awful performances on the road. And, and it's probably fitting that they wrap up their season on the road again with an opportunity to show some improvement, although obviously this is going to be, I think most would agree, the, the easiest or the least uh, qualified competition Oregon faces on the road this year. You know, you look at Washington State, Arizona, and, and Utah, those teams are, are all going to be going to bowl games. Obviously, Oregon State will not be their 2-9 this season. One win in conference play over Colorado, who's fired their coach since then. Obviously, it wasn't the direct correlation, but... Uh, this is just not quite the team a team that's quite up to caliber of what Oregon has faced in the past. At the same time, this is an Oregon State team, if you look at the numbers offensively, is, is one of, you know, is, is very, very competent. Um, really been impressed that way. You know, they, they pass the ball effectively. They run the ball very, very well. Jamar Jefferson, I think, is second in the conference in rushing. So an Oregon defense that's been up and down on the road, an Oregon offense that's been honestly bad on the road, um, you know, this game could, you know, theoretically pose some issues. Although Oregon at, you know, seven wins and Oregon State at two wins, you wouldn't think so just kind of looking at the records. Yeah, this is a game that you just look at things and you wonder what... It's almost like a non-conference game Mm -hmm. where Oregon should win and you're going to look at it and you're going to say, if they don't win by two scores or three scores... It's almost going to be viewed as not a loss, but a disappointing win just because this Beaver team is, they're still closer to what they were last year than progressing forward. And I think they've made a lot of progress agree, un, yeah. un, under Jonathan Smith. And then it, it sucks because I'm sitting here saying, you know, just ragging them. But the fact of the matter is their offense is improved, but their defense is still atrocious. It's still one of the worst in the country. It, they're last in the conference in scoring defense. They're last in the conference in passing defense. They're last in the conference in total uh, defense. I think they're second to last in rushing defense. This is a game where if you're Oregon – you have to go into this and you have to dominate. You have to go in. It's a road game and that shouldn't matter. It's a rivalry game. That shouldn't matter. You have to go in and you have to dominate from start to finish because if if you don't, there's going to be more grumblings. There's going to be more concerns. There's going to be more people upset and it, and it probably would start from internally at the program of fact of the matter is Oregon State's not very good and even though Oregon has their depth issues they have their health issues this is a game where I, I look at it and say look you should win by three scores the reality is yeah and I'm, I'm with you 100% if you just look at and Oregon's been very competitive in games with other Pac-12 North teams obviously the Washington State game is probably the least competitive but that was still a game they had a, a chance at the end there to maybe tie late and obviously they didn't take place but they beat Washington they beat Cal the Stanford game speaks for itself 
against the four other Pac-12 North teams they've faced this year, they've played very competitively. Oregon State, on the other hand, has not. Washington State game, they have a home game. Actually, their closest loss in Pac-12 play came to Washington State, surprisingly. Still lost by 19 points. Next week, they go, they host Cal, lose by 42 points. Uh, two weeks later, they go at, at Stanford, lose by 31. Last weekend, at Washington, lose by 19. Um, it was a game where they, I think, fell 28 to three early, and, and you know, and I, I don't want to say Washington stopped trying, but you know, when you get up that many points, it's easy to get somewhat complacent. So it's understandable that they didn't keep pushing the win. What I'm getting at is, Oregon should win by 19 points or more. Is basically because that's the margin that Washington, Washington State won, um, and certainly Oregon is competitive with those two teams in a rivalry game, coming off a season where they won by you know almost 60 points. Um, it just feels like a game that they should win. They should win pretty handily. But, like we've established, I don't think we've seen Oregon play a complete football no, game on both sides of the field probably since Washington. And you could probably argue, if you wanted to nitpick, that there were moments where the offense wasn't particularly good in that one either. So um, They know, haven't played well on the road at all. They I played, mean, oh, they played in the road. Well, Cal was okay. Cal was okay. They that, was that, not good, though. I think that that game, that score gets masked a little bit by the fact that Ugo Amadi had a pick six on, like, the second. Lamar Winston had a touchdown Yeah, there were a couple defense. defensive touchdowns. The offense was, you know, you look back at that one. Again, it was 42-24 in Berkeley back in September. And, and you know, and since then, Cal's played way better. I, I, I thought we talked about this in the podcast not too long ago about how I thought Cal was the worst team in the Pac-12, and then they went out and... <laughs> They're not one of the best teams. One of the best teams went out to Oregon State. They went out uh, and clobbered Oregon State. They went out and beat USC. They went out and beat uh, uh, Washington at home. They were very competitive with Washington State. Um, I think they'll be very competitive with Stanford. Uh, that game's postponed until December 1st. But uh, at the time, that kind of felt disappointing. Now it looks like one of Oregon's best wins. At the same time, the point is Oregon on the road just hasn't been good. Um, and so this is going to be a game, again, where you, look, you run down the credentials, you look at the records, you think, Oregon should win this game by three or four scores. Last year they won by, what, 59 points. I still think it's going to be a game where maybe at, at least at half it's it's somewhat competitive. So Oregon State offensively can do some things, and Oregon offensively, especially in the first half of road games, has been atrocious. I mean, the last three road games speak for themselves in terms of just getting off to absolutely slow, slow starts. So an opportunity to show some improvement there to wrap up the regular season. It'll be interesting to see kind of what we see because, like we said, Oregon should have a greater advantage on in this road game than they've had in the previous three that they struggled so much in. What do we make of, of Oregon's offense? And this is going to be the last chance for them to show what they can do. Um, earlier in the year, I think I think Oregon had some had and still has issues at the receiver position. Sure. It's Dylan Mitchell and then a bunch of average receivers. And that that, that sounds harsh, but that's reality. It's so, nicer than what a lot of fans are saying on social media during games. I mean, it's the 11th game of the year. They're going into the 12th game of the year. You are who you are at this point. And the fact of the matter is, is how many other guys at this receiver position group or tight end position would would see significant snaps on the 2015 team, the 2014 team, the 2013 team. You, you just keep going back. And I, I don't think, outside of Dylan Mitchell, I don't think you can say definitively that there's another guy on this team that's going to play a lot of snaps. But that's just part of the problem. And I think... And I, look, I'm the first one to admit it, and I, I am 
the, I have planted my flag on the hill that it's Dylan Mitchell and nobody else at receiver, and that Oregon needs to throw at him every single time, pra- practically. Um, I am the leader of that fan club. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think Herbert has had an A-level game since Washington. I don't think he's played very well. A com- I don't think he's played a complete game. He's played, in, in parts, he's played pretty well. Against Utah, he had a pretty good game. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, like 280 yards. He had a good quarterback rating. I think he had a good high completion percentage. Against Arizona State, though, really good first half, terrible second half. Part of that included drops, but I think part of the issue is he hasn't played well either. And, you know, if... if you listen to local media in the state of Oregon. Mike Bellotti went on John Canzano's show up in Portland uh, earlier this week and was asked about Herbert, and Bellotti said he regressed since the Washington game. He has gotten worse since the Washington game. And, and so I think, I think Oregon's receivers have a large impact on Oregon's struggles. I think Oregon's running backs are not as good as traditionally they have been. Um, And then on top of that, I don't think Herbert is playing at a level that was similar to what he was doing earlier in the season, and that's impacted Oregon's offense. The first two games in Pac-12 play, Herbert completed 79% of passes against Stanford. That that really, if Oregon wins that game, that might go down as one of the best quarterback performances, especially because at the time, Stanford looked like, I think they were ranked 11th or something. It, it, It felt like a big game Oregon was going to win. He was 26 for 33, 346 yards. It's a 79% completion percentage. Next week at Cal, 73% completion percentage. Since then, 56% against Washington, 56% against Washington State, 50 against Arizona, 56 against UCLA, 60.1 or 61 against Utah, and 56 against Arizona State. He's basically completing passes at about 56% in conference play since the Stanford and Cal game, and that's just not very good. This is a guy who was completing 68% of passes as a sophomore, 64 as a freshman. I'm not sure if you want to call it regression. I don't know, if, and I do think the receiving core probably has some impact there, but you know, he just hasn't been kind of what we had expected. And again, you look at the numbers; they're not that bad if you look if you don't look at the completion percentage. He's, got, right. he's gonna he's gonna finish with over 3,000 yards passing. He's got 27 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Um, his, his QB rating is is significantly worse than last year, but it's not terrible. It's 147. It's near the top of the Pac-12. But for a guy that we said, like we said, that was we, we talk about in the same vein as a as a Marcus Mariota in terms of the draft position, in terms of um, you know earlier in the season as a Heisman Trophy kind of candidate, as a Conference Player of the Year candidate, it, it really hasn't been up to par. And I think it's fairly telling that Oregon is. Obviously not having the season that some expected, and obviously maybe feels like a bit of a disappointing season overall, but that Herbert's not even being discussed right now in, in any of those awards, I mean, at least not legitimately. Yeah. I think that sort of tells the story because he's still a big-time quarterback on a team in a program that has a lot of national attention. That's one of the premier programs in this conference, and yet you really haven't heard a lot of, oh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a dark horse, it's Justin Herbert. And I think that's just because if you look, just you look at the numbers, they're not great right now. No. I mean, and you mentioned that he's going to throw for 3,000 yards, but in today's day and age of college football, that's average. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look at across the country, and let's let's pull those stats up just real quickly here. Um, across college football, and obviously, you know, the Washington States and the Texas Techs, and to an extent, the Oklahoma States, you know, Big 12 schools, you know, they are going they are going to throw a lot more than the rest of the country but 
you've got right now 11 quarterbacks who have thrown for 3,200 yards or more in the country. In the country. And you've got Minshew at over 4,000. You know, Justin Herbert is is 16th in the country at 2,800 yards. By the, way, by the way, he's second in the Pac-12, which is why I said it was right. decent. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. But to your point, they should be better. And I feel like this season, Oregon squandered a chance at having one of the best quarterbacks in the country and he didn't he didn't live up to it he didn't show up he didn't show that the hype i think um that came about that came to his name before the season started and there could be many reasons for that that could be injuries that could be just not being as good as many people expected him to be that could be play calling that could be the, the lack of talent around him i think all of those factor in uh, into his season. Now, it's going to be important for this team to go into Oregon State and finish strong because there's still a lot on the line for this football team. And, and the fact that, well, what do you mean by that? They're not in the conference race. They're not playing for a New Year's Six Bowl. Oregon has an opportunity to still go to the Alamo Bowl or the Holiday Bowl, and those are those are the two best bowls outside of the Rose Bowl for the Pac-12. And if if Washington State continues to win and they make the college football playoff, or if the league sends two teams into uh, New Year's Six bowls, everyone gets bumped up a level, and then and that would open up the door for both the Al- the Alamo and the Holiday Bowl, but. More than likely, look, Oregon is a traveling fan base. They are a popular brand, and they've got NFL talent. They've got Justin Herbert. They've got an offensive line that's got multiple guys that are going to be in the league. They've got a defense with Hollins and Dye and Jelks and Jordan Scott that are probably going to be in the NFL, and that's attractive to Bulls. And so if Oregon beats Oregon State, I, I don't, I'm not going to guarantee it, but – don't be shocked to see Oregon get picked over a, a, a potentially a Stanford team who finishes six and three in the league, but Oregon finished five and four, and they're one game within reach, so they can leapfrog a team. Where the Alamo Bowl or the Holiday Bowl says, "Hey, we want Oregon because of the brand and the players and, and the recognition and the fan base." And so there's a lot on the line. I mean, there's a big difference between going to San Diego and playing in the Holiday Bowl than going to the Cheez-It Bowl on December 26th or the Sun Bowl in El Paso uh, on New Year's Eve at 11 a.m. local time here in Eugene. So this is a this is a critical game, I think, from an individual standpoint. It's a critical game from a seasonal pr- perspective. And let's transition here to... I think this is a critical game for Oregon staff. 100%. Where a loss here is really bad. Well, and it's bad for a number of reasons, I think, chiefly because last year they absolutely clobbered Oregon State. It was, the, again, I believe it's the most lopsided Civil War game in the series history. It was, I mean, they won by, what, I think 69 to 10 was the score. I mean, it was about as one sided a game as you'll see in a rivalry. And also because last year they went seven and five, they lose this game. They go seven and five again. They have the same record in conference play. It's like there really wasn't an improvement. And last year they had at least a built-in excuse of, well, Justin Herbert missed five games with an injury. They went one and four in those games. If he's healthy, maybe they win a couple of those games. And then it's a nine-win season. Blah 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 blah. 
obviously that's a lot of what it should have could have, but this year doesn't have really any of that. I mean, you could look closer and say, well, they have had a lot of key players miss time or, or are dinged up, but it, it's it's harder to point to that than it is when you have a quarterback and obviously your your you know your your franchise player you know miss time like that, and there's just no built-in excuses. And I think there would be a lot of fans, especially losing to this Oregon State team, which is not very good. That would be restless, to say the least. And you'd wonder. I don't think Cristobal would be coaching for his job. I think that would be crazy to to make it. Yeah, no one, like no that. one is saying no Cristobal's saying coaching that, for his I job. Think, I think there would be, uh, and I think there already are, at least from the fan base, some questions on on coordinators. And I, mean, I don't know how much we want to get into that, but certainly there's been frustration over the offensive play calling by Marcus Arroyo. Certainly there's been. So, and I'm not sure that Levitt deserves a, a ton of criticism. I think the defense has played much better than the offense for the most part this season. I'm mean, honestly kept them in more games than they've kept them out. But certainly some things where you could you could point fingers and say if they lose this game, like we need to make some changes. There's you know we shouldn't be losing to a team like Oregon State that frankly hasn't been all that competitive with most of the conference this year. I think regardless of win or lose changes will be made and then the question becomes what to find change and i don't i don't think they need to right now make a coaching change that doesn't need that's not something that needs to happen um but when mario cristobal and his staff gather at the end of the regular season after the bowl game is over and they they break down the film they they discuss the season they are going to need to say, look, what we did in 2018, some of it worked, some of it didn't. And we need to change how we approach things for 2019. That could simply be, hey, you know what? We flip-flop back and forth on being a run team and being a team that's going to air it out a ton. We need to pick one and we need to stick with it no matter what. Or it could be a schematic change. Hey, you know what? The pistol just didn't fit our, our style. We're not there yet. We're not ready in terms of player personnel to do that. And instead of trying to push a, a square peg into a round hole, let's kind of adjust things to the personnel that we have. You know, there are changes that will need to be made and it doesn't have to be a coaching change. And I don't think it should be a coaching change because you look at things and you look at Herbert and you tell him, hey, come back for your fourth year. And oh, by the way, you're gonna have your fourth offensive coordinator in four seasons. It's crazy. I mean, that, that could hurt Oregon more than, than anything of what you do just because the entire offense has to learn a little bit new philosophy they have to learn a new ways of being coached uh they have to develop a new relationship with new coaches um they have to relate you know herbert has to relate develop a new relationship with a, a positional coach and stability is probably the most important thing that this program needs right now and so i don't think you know making a, a replacement with with Oregon's assistant coaches is the thing to do right now. You want stability. You want to show Herbert, hey, if you come back, you know what you're getting in terms of personnel and relationship-wise. This is, you know, we're going to make some changes, but look, it's the same people in this room together 
let's fix this together instead of, hey, how are you? I'm such and such. I'm your new coach for the fourth straight year. And that, that, that stuff matters. 100% it matters. And you see that, you know, you just a comparison with Marcus Mariota and the Titans. I think he's yeah. the exact same thing with a different coordinator basically every year in the NFL, different head coach, I think, and all. But, I mean, it's, it's honestly very similar to what we've seen from Herbert. And we've seen that hasn't worked, you know, and Marcus obviously is banged up right now. But it's just been – it's so much up and down in his career. And, and, I, and you wonder if some of that is play, playing a role this year. And, um, and and you certainly don't want to squander again. And not that this season has been entirely squandered, but you could – I think you said it earlier. You could probably argue it has been. Um, but if you have a fourth year and you're blessed with an opportunity to have a guy of Herbert's caliber back on the team, and I think the, the feeling right now is that that's probably going to be the case, you certainly don't want to blow that by – and, and, and it's also worth mentioning that it's not a guarantee that whoever you hire is going to be a significant improvement. Sometimes it's just not the right fit. And obviously, if you you know if, if somebody walks up and says, "Hey, I'm Sean McVay. I'd love to be the offensive coordinator," you probably have to give that a second look. I'm going to say that might not happen uh, because he's probably going to win the, might win the Super Bowl this year. Might be the coach of the year. <laughs> he might be the most talented coach of the last like five decades in terms of just an up and coming guy. But you know if. But at the same time, I, I, I just think I agree. I, th- I think it's it's asking a lot to, A, go find a coach that you think is significantly better, and B, bring him in and expect the offense to run like clock, clockwork immediately. That stuff doesn't, just, not doesn't always happen. You know, it, it can happen, but it's probably a, a 5 to 10 to 15% chance that that it works out that way and there's probably a large percent chance that the result ends up being oh man why did we get rid of Arroyo this stinks because things just aren't working the right way so uh, knee-jerk reactions are the worst things that you could do right now for this program and look Herbert comes back there's a chance that Oregon brings back all 11 starters from this year's offensive unit yeah it's a young team I mean and there's that chance where Oregon, you know, they they blow out Oregon State, they win their bowl game, yeah. they sneak into the top 25 at the end of the season, and then and then they probably open the year next year as a top 15 team. I, I don't think you can safely say they're a top 10 team. Um, we'll see how they perform in a bowl game in, in, the, in the Civil War, but you know, they're probably a top 15 team. And when you're a top 15 team, you're in the discussion for getting back to the college football playoff. Uh, and and so let's also not sit here and say like. Oregon's completely broken. They're not. They're still putting up a lot of points. They're still putting up yards. They're making progress. The recruiting run is, is going on a really real, one uh, really good run right now as well. So, um, back to this game though. I, I I think there's a lot on the line. There's a lot at stake, and we can learn a lot from this game, even though it's against a poor opponent. Um, defensively, I I think this is going to be probably one of Oregon's better tests of the season because look OSU sucks they're not very good but the fact of the matter is their offense is drastically improved under Jonathan Smith and this is their Super Bowl this is their bowl game because they're not playing in one and don't be shocked if Jonathan Smith goes back to his coaching tree of working under Chris Peterson at UW uh, and says you know what let's throw the kitchen sink at Oregon let's let's do reverses let's do Flea flickers, let's do double passes, you know, weird formations, lots of motions. They're going to try and confuse the heck out of Oregon defensively uh, because they've got the guys to, to make explosive plays. Yeah, and Jamar Jefferson at running back has is, is been a, a, a really a surprising player. He you know, came into the season as the backup. I don't think many people really knew who he was. 
um, and has become, he's this, I think he's the nation's fourth best rusher right now, and he's gotten a ton of games over 100 yards. He has two games over 200 yards. Um, he had four, he's had two four-touchdown games this season. It's crazy looking at the stats here. He hasn't scored a touchdown in, in five weeks, though. At the same time, he's a really talented player. And then that, that speaking with Oregon's cornerbacks and, and safety coach uh, Keith Hayward, the, the variety in the passing game is one thing that's kind of, it's actually really impressive because Oregon State has five different, or sorry, three different receivers with 50 receptions or more. Um, that's the only school in the Pac-12 that has that, and I'm going to look through it. I'm sure that's probably also the only school nationally that has that distinction because it's just rare to have that equal um, of kind of passing stats. They have three guys that have either 52, 52, or 51 receptions this year. So it's a balanced group. It's a group that Oregon is going to have to be ready to account for. Obviously, there's no Nikhil Harry in this bunch. There's no J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in this bunch. But we've seen Isaiah Hodgins have big games this year. We've seen Timmy Hernandez have big games this year. Trevor Bradford's had some big games. There's just a number of guys that can beat you. And Jake Luton has been a very serviceable starting veteran quarterback for, again, a young Oregon State team. He's a senior. He's obviously had awful injury luck, but... I think he had seven touchdowns and one interception in the last four Pac-12 games. So he's playing at a high level. So this is, again, yeah, I agree. This is an offense that potentially poses some some challenges. And, you know, really to me, though, this game is going to be decided on and how effective Oregon can be offensively because there's no excuses to not just absolutely run over this Oregon State defense, which, I mean, everyone in the conference has done it. They're probably you could have a strong argument statistically this is the worst defense nationally. I mean, at least from a Power 5 perspective, I mean, they're near the bottom of just about every statistic. The only reason they're not last in every single defensive statistic in the Pac-12 is because Arizona went against Washington State and last week and Gardner Mitchell threw for like 500 yards. And even then, Washington or Arizona only allows 1.5 more yards than Oregon State. So, it, it, you know, they're bad defensively. I mean, that, that's just the reality of it. There, there's really, you know, no way to sugarcoat it. They're just terrible. And Oregon should be able to offensively go out and score at minimum six, seven touchdowns. And if they don't do that, if this is a game that's one in the 30s, that's a problem. And that's a game that Oregon State can probably compete for because I think they're going to have some success scoring offensively because this is an offense that averages, I think, 27 points per game and allows like 42. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I think Oregon offense needs to show up here. It, it, you know, the defense, I, I have no doubt that they can make some plays, but at the, at the same time, this offense needs to show something right now. Let's get into our, our picks for the week. Um, territorial, we will start with a Territorial Cup. Uh, that's Arizona State at Arizona. Sun Devils on the road are a two-point favorite. I've gone back and forth. I don't think Arizona State is good. I think they're a little bit better than average. They're decent. Arizona seems to have figured things out the last couple of weeks with Khalil Tate. Still not running him the ball, which is just really weird. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, I think... I'm going to go with my initial pick, but I'm not very confident. I think ASU wins. They cover because it's only a two-point game. I think they win by three. I think, I think it's going to be something like 27 to 24, something of that nature. I don't think it's going to be a very clean game for both sides, but it's probably my least confident pick of, of this week's slate of games because um, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Arizona blew them out. I think Arizona's going to win. I think it's going to be close. Arizona State's basically lost. Every Arizona State loss this season has like been extremely close and agonizing. That's, that's a team that you feel for. Oregon has 
obviously had its share of, of ups and downs this season, but they've been blown out in games. At least Arizona State's been competitive, tight games every week. I think they're going to lose another heartbreaker because I think that just kind of encapsulates this season. Arizona, obviously, I agree. I, I don't know what they're doing with Khalil Tate. I don't get it. Last year he ran for like 1,500 yards in like 10 games. This year he's run for like 175. It, it's just completely backwards. I know it's possible he's dealing with and he's had leg injuries, but he's still somebody that should be at minimum running for four or 500 yards this season. I think that's weird, but I think they're going to find a way to win that game. Notre Dame goes on the road to Southern California. The Irish have not lost, playing for a bid in the college football playoff. USC, meanwhile, needs a win in their final game of the regular season to get bowl eligible. Um, A loss probably gets Clay Hilton fired, uh, the head coach at USC. A win, maybe. Keeps, keeps his job at USC. Um, USC fans are definitely rooting for as ugly of a loss as possible, yeah, which is just strange to think USC of. fans in the stadium will probably be cheering Notre Dame touchdowns. Like, legitimately, that may happen. I, the Irish are 10.5-point uh, favorites. The game opened up as an 8-point favorite for, the, for Notre Dame. I just can't see this being under 10. I, I don't get it. This line should be like 15. USC's not very good. They're, they're not good. They're, and Notre Dame's like a legitimate national championship contender, and USC might not make a bull. Why isn't this more? I don't get why it's not. Yeah, I, I think we're both in agreement here that um, Notre Dame covers, and I don't think it it's going to be even I mean, relatively I, close. I can see this being like 42 to 14, or like 49 to 21. I, I, I mean, I think this is going to be a blowout. I, I'm really, I'm surpri- I was surprised when the line came out at 8, and I'm surprised it hasn't jumped more, to be honest. Stanford goes on the road to UCLA. Bruins uh, trying to finish out the regular season, getting their fourth win of the year two straight. They upset USC last weekend, which probably was the final nail in the coffin uh, for Clay Helton. Not a good look. Um, Stanford had the week off because of the fires in Northern California, so um, hopefully those guys up there are okay and their families are okay in the area. Um, Stanford, six-point favorite, six-and-a-half. Six and a half, seven points. It's kind of split all the way across. We'll, we'll, we'll say seven. Um, I'm going to do it again. I did it last week. I think UCLA is going to win this game. I, I think they've got a really good run game. Their defense is, is figuring things out a little bit. And Spite at quarterback is just way better than Dorian Thompson. They would have... They, six, they could have six or seven wins right now if they made the right. I mean, not, not to blame the point, but they could be much better record-wise if, if Spade had started all the season. Yeah, honestly, honestly. I he's agree. Much better than he's, Thompson Robinson. He's not a he's not a, a schematic fit, but Chip's kind of adjusted. They've done thing, some things a little bit differently with Spite in uh, Spade in at quarterback, and you know, I agree with you. I think they maybe have five, maybe six wins this year if they had done the, the move earlier. Um, I'm taking UCLA. I think they get their fourth win, and I think. A season that started out 0-5 in Westwood and everyone questioning why they hired Chip Kelly ends with, hey, maybe this Chip Kelly guy actually knows football. And you know what? Maybe next season we'll be actually a, a bowl team. I don't think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I, I think Stanford's going to win. I think they'll cover. Uh, I, I, I think Stanford has been consistently a team that's going to win you eight or nine games. Honestly, if you bet that every year on the win, I'm not sure what the over-under is, but... Stanford usually achieves. They don't, they don't always overachieve. Typically, they just kind of reach your bare minimum expectations. This feels like a season where that's going to happen. Speaking of star players not living up to the hype, Bryce Love has been... If you go into the season, the three top players in the conference without question, Justin Herbert, Bryce Love, 
Khalil Tate, all three guys have had average to bad yeah. seasons. I mean, Bryce Love, he might not even rush for a thousand yards this season. I mean, it's been a bizarre season. I think he gets right. I think they end up winning this game. I think it'll be competitive because you know UCLA is playing fairly competitive football right now, but I don't think they're going to win. By the way, Bryce Love has 589, 580 yards right now, two regular season games and a bowl left, so he might get to a thousand, but. He has one 100-yard game all season, and that was against USC in uh, the first game in September. So <laughs> his season has been really bizarre. Yeah, it's go from 2,000 to less than 1,000 in the final week of the season, just yeah. weird. And why it's worth noting, he averaged 8 yards a carry last year. He's averaging 4.8 right now. Yeah, so I'm sure he regrets coming back to school. Should have probably gone pro, but he's a good student. Good student. That's all that matters, right? Sure. Uh, Colorado, they also had, or California also had the week off because of the fires last week. They host Cal- uh, Colorado. Buffs fired Mike McIntyre uh, shortly after getting embarrassed at home on senior day uh, by the Utah Utes. Uh, after just days after McIntyre kind of doubled down, of, I'm not going anywhere. Why? Why would they get rid of me? The people should. People told me I shouldn't even came here. You guys are lucky to have me. Uh, I basically got fired like right after that. Um, Colorado, 11 to 12 and a half point underdog in this game. Uh, we'll say 12 and a half, and quite honestly, I look, California's offense isn't great. It's not perfect. They've got warts. They've got big warts. Colorado's a mess. They've lost six straight games in a row. Cal's, off, uh, Cal's defense really is... Good. Might be the best in the conference. Yeah. I mean, how did that happen? Justin Wilcox, if he can just find a quarterback, a competent quarterback, this t- next year, this team... Might go from being, you know, seven and five, six and six, to nine and three. They've got dudes on defense, and they just need an offense that can score twenty-five points. Do that every game, and you're going to win a lot of your games. I think that happens today or on on, on Saturday. I think they beat Colorado, and I think they cover the spread. Quietly, they could honestly they could go eight and four. They beat Colorado. They beat Stanford. They're eight and four. And, and you look at their last four games, they. So it's, it's interesting looking at their trajectory of their season. They won all their non-conference games. Oregon laid it on them 42-24 in Berkeley. They barely lost to Arizona. Then they lost by 30 points to UCLA. And that was UCLA's first win of the season. And that's where everybody went, Cal sucks. They are terrible. And they have, honestly, the response there could not be any better. They beat Arizona, or they beat Oregon State by 42 points. They upset Washington. They barely lose on the road against Washington State in a the game they really probably should have won. And they beat USC. They, I mean, they hold, this is impressive, they hold Washington to 10 points, Washington State to 19, USC to 14 in three consecutive weeks. Um, they've had a little extra time here. I think Cal's going to win. I think they'll cover. I don't think they're going to score that many points because if you look at they've scored 12, 13, and 15 the last three weeks. But I think they're going to be enough to cover because I think they'll get a couple defensive touchdowns, etc. I think this Cal team is for real. I think that Cal-Stanford game on December 1st, when there's not going to be a lot of I got other games to watch, it's going to be a fun one to check in. Yeah. I think that'll be potentially kind of a uh, beginning of that rivalry, which I think is going to really heat up in the next couple of years. I agree. I think Wilcox has this program headed in the right direction. They just need to find a quarterback. They, they, they're, a quarterback of being, honestly, they're a quarterback away from being really in contention for the division this year. Very, very good, very good team. I think they're very underrated. Justin Wilcox has, has that team humming. They're going to be pretty good in the next couple of years. BYU uh, goes on the road to play Utah. Kyle Willingham has said that they are not going to rest their their starters, their key players, in preparation for the Pac-12 Conference Championship game. 
because obviously this game has no weight on the season uh, for BYU. Win or lose doesn't really impact their bowl scenario. Or also, they're you know they're probably not going to get into New Year's Six. I mean, unless they win the conference championship game. Um, so uh, he's playing everybody. Uh, BYU is a 12-point underdog, and quite honestly, this game's at home. Seeing how well Utah has played the last two weeks, even without uh, Tyler Huntley and, and Zach Moss at, at running back, they haven't they haven't missed a beat. And quite honestly, they may be a little bit better. Uh, than they've been playing the last couple of day- weeks before that. Not saying that those guys are better than their, their, the guys they replaced, but they've picked up the slack in other areas and they're very good. I'm gonna, I'm picking Utah. I think I'm gonna surprise you and go the opposite way. Oh. I think Utah wins. I, I want to make that clear. I think this is gonna be a close game. These rivalry games between Utah and BYU have been really, really fun over the last five or six years. There's been a couple that have been duds, but there've been some really good games in there. And I think, and this is why, and maybe I'm short shorting Utah, maybe it'll bite me again, but last week I picked Colorado to be Utah. Obviously, that didn't play out properly. I think at some point there's going to be a little bit, I don't know if regression is the right word, but the fact that they are playing a backup quarterback and a backup running back is going to kind of bite them a little bit. I think this game is a really you know knockout, drag out, low scoring, close game. I think Utah wins, but I think it's going to be like 21 to 14 or something like that. I think it's going to be a competitive game, but I do think Utah wins. And I'm really rooting for a Utah-Washington State Pac-12 conference championship game because I think that would be an awesome football game. It'd be really fun to see two teams that haven't been um, in that play play against each other. I mean, we, we haven't really had new blood. It's always been Washington, Stanford, and Oregon in the north, and it's been a combination of USC, Arizona State, um, and I'm forgetting another team, Colorado made it one year yeah. in the South. So I'm excited for some new blood, and I, and I think Utah's obviously already clinched, but I think a Utah-Washington State Conference Championship game would be really fun because it was also a really good game earlier this year up in Pullman. Probably one of the games of the year in the conference. In, in the conference, probably is the game of the year in the conference. One of the best games of the week across the country. Uh, certainly the best game this week in the Pac-12. Washington at Washington State. The Apple Cup winner advances to the Pac-12 championship game. Washington State has more on the line because if they win, uh, their playoff hopes are still alive. They're not, you know, definitive, but it's still there. Still they're still in the discussion. They're going to have to get lucky. Yeah, they still need some help, but they're still alive. And Washington State is a three-point favorite. It opened as a three. It's dipped to two and a half in some spots. Washington's defense is legit. Their secondary is legit. No doubt about that. I just question, look, Martin Stadium's gonna be crazy. That, that game is gonna be absolutely mind-boggling. Um, I wish we could be there because it's gonna be awesome to watch. I agree, actually, that'd be really awesome. And you know, seeing as how crazy and jacked up they were for Oregon, it's gonna, with game day there, it's gonna be even crazier. Um, I just don't think Washington's offense is built to score 40 or more points on a consistent basis. And look, the Cougars are going to score. They're going to score a lot. They put a 50-burger up at half against Arizona. And I understand Arizona's not Washington, but this Washington State team is very, very good. Gardner Minshew should be in the Heisman discussion. He should be in New York. He shouldn't win it, but he should be there. I think the Cougars win. I think they cover. And I think this is this could be Mike Leach's last game coaching at Washington State in Pullman because 
there's going to be some jobs that are going to open up across the country. And he almost got the Tennessee job last year. And you look at his offense and you look at that and you say, look, let's put some elite athletes in there from the SEC. Fill it, put it with an SEC type defense. Who's going to stop that? Scary. It's scary. It's scary. We might. This might be his last game at Washington State. Who knows? Maybe, or maybe he just does what he does. Does is complete off the wall and says, "You know what? Screw it. I'm staying here. I'm building a, a power." Or he just goes to like Eastern Michigan or something. <laughs> just completely random. But yeah, I'm taking the Cougars and the points. I think they went by two scores. Uh, I, I'm thinking like nine or ten points. I'm looking at the last three games in this series. Washington won 45 to 10 in 2015 in Seattle. 45 17 in Pullman in 2016. Yeah, Cougars have not played well. 14 last year in Seattle. Uh, Washington's won five straight. There was a couple close games before that. Uh, closer games. Which is 31 13 in Pullman in 2014. That's not that close. And 21 7, 17 in Seattle in 2013. Washington's dominated the series of late. This is a tough. This is a very tough pick. I think because. Washington is still Washington. And, you know, you, I agree. there have been regressions offensively. This is not the same offense Jake Browning has. This is not 2016 Jake Browning, not at all. And I think a lot of that had to do with the weapons around him. At the same time, I like Washington to win this game, even though I just poured my heart out for how much I want to see a Washington State-Utah conference championship game. I think Washington's going to do it because, honestly, the conference has been so bizarre this year, and every time you think you know who's good, something weird happens. I think Washington wins this game. I don't think it's a blowout. I think it's a close game. I think they win, um, and I think it, it makes me sad because I don't want to see Washington play in the Pac-12 championship game because they've been there basically every year, but I think that's what's going to happen. And last but not least, we'll make our final picks uh, on the site later this week, um, but Oregon at Oregon State, 122nd Civil War, uh, Ducks opened as a 14 and a half point favorite. That's now climbed across every sports book to 17 or 17 and a half. So we'll say 17 and a half. We'll take the highest one out there. Um, like I said, this is a game that Oregon should win by three scores. And I think if, quite honestly, if you win by 17, it's still probably going to be a, eh, you, you did what you were supposed to do against a bad team. And you want to be one of the elites in the Pac-12, you need to win this game by legit three scores, you know, three touchdowns. I think they do that. I, I think this is going to be a game where Oregon wins something like 56-24, 56-28, or something of that nature. I, I just, OSC is going to put up points. They're going to put up yards, but they're not going to be able to stop Oregon. I think Oregon's going to, I think this is going to be a game where we see Oregon run the ball, ball control, and then, you know, they score seven out of the eight offensive drives that they have or something of that nature. And they and they're all long, long drives. I'm taking Oregon to win. I'm taking Oregon to cover. I don't think it's gonna be quite as lopsided. I know I think in my hot takes on Saturday's podcast I said they were gonna win lopsided. I've kind of changed my mind just kinda of looking at Oregon State. Isn't that a hot more. take of a hot take? Yeah, I'm I'm contradicting my previous <laughs> hot take with this current hot take of that they won't win by a ton of points. I think they will cover. I, I think it's gonna be and again, we'll have our final predictions, uh, and maybe this is what I'll go with. I think it's going to be like 42-17 to 17 or something like that. I think they'll win. I think it'll be convincing. I still think it'll leave people going like... Because I, th- I think, again, I think the offense is going to have some success, but I don't think it's going to be what people believe it should be. And I think they're going to be, not bailed out, but I think the defense is going to have to make some plays again. And, and this Oregon State offense... Not that they're turnover prone, but they, they do turn it over a little bit. And I think there's an opportunity for, for Oregon to, to take advantage of that a little bit. 
that's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory Podcast. Thank you for listening to us throughout the year, previewing these games. Um, stick with us. We'll do another one post-game of Civil War. We've also got a seasonal recap that we'll do of the regular season. And then, as always, we'll also dive in. Uh, this podcast isn't going anywhere with the season ending. Um, there's a bowl game to preview and, and discuss. There's recruiting that we're going to get dive into. Uh, and we'll also just continue doing a, a Duck football podcast throughout the year as long as... There's information, and in today's day and age, uh, Oregon football is a big boy program, and there's always something going on with Oregon football. So stick up, stick with us throughout the year. Thank you for listening, for continuing to listen. Uh, give us a rating on iTunes or whatever iPad, uh, podcast app that you use. Uh, please share it as well. Uh, and for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prame, thank you for listening to the Duck Territory Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.